I am Non Tennant. And I am Michael Foster. And you are listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, skill, and wisdom. Uh, what are we talking about today's episode, Non? In this episode, we are going to start to unpack, essentially running on from the last one, we're going to be talking about a biblical theology of attraction or theory of attraction, depending on how you want to put it. And we're going to be looking at two despised intersexual concepts, uh, the idea of men as success objects and women as sex objects. I'm sure you've heard of sex objects, but success objects is the masculine corollary. Why don't you lead us into this, Michael? You know more about this than I do. Sex objects, is that's, that's common language. We hear that all the time. It's the idea that a man's attraction towards a woman is heavily rooted in her physical beauty or sex appeal, and our society finds that objectionable because they claim it reduces her to an object as opposed to a whole person. But the red pill community really has latched onto this idea of men as success objects, and the idea that women are looking for men that have money, resources, status. They're looking for a successful man. And that's how they judge a guy. So they'll, they'll judge a guy quickly on his job or how much he makes. And just as a, a guy uh, measures up a woman by what she looks like, her curves and, and things like that. So those are things that people don't like. And we're going to talk more about why they don't like it in a future episode. But uh, we wanted to look at this through a biblical lens because studies actually back this up. And I would argue that there's a reason, a biblical explanation for why men are viewed as success objects by women and conversely why women are viewed by by men as sex objects. So I guess let me talk about a really cited study on this topic. You can go Google it. It's called Men as Success Objects and Women as Sex Objects. And there's a uh, summary I want to read to you. And this is from this paper by Simon Davis. It was found that gender differences for desired companion attributes were consistent with traditional sex role stereotypes relative to the opposite sex Women emphasize employment, financial, and intellectual status, as well as commitment, while men emphasize physical characteristics. Physical characteristics were the most desired regardless of sex. So in other words, both sexes uh, care deeply about physical characteristics, but in terms of those kind of secondary things, men are especially <laughs> emphasizing physical characteristics where women are looking more at this whole financial ability to provide, all that that matters to them in a way that doesn't matter to men. So that's the basic concept. So the way we would sum this up is that men desire women that are young, beautiful, and receptive, and women desire men that are ambitious, strong, and possess status. Sounds reasonable, but um, why? Why is it this way? This is, all, this is why we started with the creation mandate. Uh, you and I are always going back to the creation mandate because it's it's where we find the base design. Uh, for Everything's the world. in Genesis. Everything starts there, you know, is the foundations, and so we can look at the creation mandate and see why it's true. But before we go there for a second, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, is when we when we talk to people to prove anything 
we need a verse is the mindset. Like mm-hmm. I, I could tell people the sky is blue and they'd say, well, do you have a verse for it? <laughs> That's right. You know what I mean? You look at the sky and it's blue and it's clearly blue, but like, who knows? Maybe it's not. Do you have a Bible verse? The thing is that we all know this is true. And Alexander Grace is a, a red pill YouTuber that does a lot of good content. You know, he's not a Christian and, and you don't, don't go there expecting it always to be the, the cleanest content. So you've been warned. But he does these uh, on-street interviews. And as he talks to, uh, to women and asks them about these different concepts, it's just clear. Everyone knows this. Women know that their desirability is deeply tied to their external beauty. They all know that. I mean, go marketers, market to women knowing that. Go look at any woman's magazine, listen to what they talk about most. Where do they spend time? I can be ready to leave the house in like 30 seconds. Just wake up, throw on some jeans, and I'll be out the door. I don't put on any makeup. I run some water through my hair, you know, and I'm out. That does not happen with ladies. They have to get prepared, (laughs) you know, put their face on and all that. Uh, Women know that. And the idea that I have to prove that with a verse, I won't lie, is kind of irritating. Exodus 24.10, they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. It's pretty close to saying the sky's blue. (laughs) Well, men also know that their desirability is deeply tied to their ability to perform. They know that. You know, guys uh, know that, I mean, this is kind of what happens with men when they're older. They'll go get that sports car. You always see that old guy driving like that Corvette, mm-hmm. he finally got mm-hmm. it. And he, he knows that it appeals to women at some level. It's, it's, it's a single attribute, single variable. It's not the only thing that a woman looks for. But both sexes know that these things exist. Everyone out there listening, even if you're a feminist, you know we're right. You know? Yeah, just um, down the road from me, divorced middle-aged guy has recently bought himself a motorbike. Yep, and it's because now they, they, they have the status. They've finally got the money, and they're trying to uh, – the other – things that we all know that that the opposite sex likes um they're trying to bring those into their life a guy knows and then it might not just be motivated by a desire to be liked by a woman but you you do see these things play out now so you asked why was this the creation mandate the creation mandate is uh be fruitful and multiply fill the earth subdue and rule the earth and when you start to look at those concepts, you see that they, they really do explain these tendencies in the sexes. In other words, God has uh, commanded all of mankind to make more people, to reproduce image bearers, children. And then they'll subdue the earth for God's glory. So that creates culture, right? One household produces more households. Households together create society. And then all, all the aspects of those households uh, uh, create what we would call culture. What I would say is that both sexes are attracted to the sex-specific attributes that are central to fulfilling the creation mandate. It's because to be fruitful, it requires cooperation. The sexes have to work together, um, at least in the uh, sex act, right? You know, the key in the lock, things fit together. It's clear that we're supposed to come together, that we're supposed to be one, and that there is a cooperation that is even communicated by the, the very designs of our bodies. And this gets to the question of the, the idea that you have to have a Bible verse for everything, because God doesn't give the command in isolation. It's not like he designs these androgynous creatures and has, uh, they, you know, they have sex organs, but they don't really have any desire to use them yet. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And, and they kind of just decide, okay, well, I'll be the male and I'll, I'll be the female. And I guess we'll have sex because this is what we've been told to do. He designs them 
to fulfill the command. And then the command is given so that they would uh, have this kind of explicit statement of their purpose. But we could infer the purpose from the design, even if the command wasn't there. And that's a huge part of the concept behind a lot of the the patterns that we're recognizing, a lot of the trajectories that we're tracing are not explicitly stated. They're, they're either design features that we can discover through science or just through reflection on our own selves, or they are patterns in scripture, which don't necessarily contain explicit commands or explicit statements, but which you can clearly see the trajectory that's traced through scripture. And it's a bit like prophecy. People talk about uh, the New Testament, you know, Matthew, for example, he misquotes prophecies. The, the prophecies weren't talking about these things, or this wasn't even a prophecy at all. This was just Israel coming out of Egypt, and Matthew applies it to Jesus. Out of Egypt, I call my son. And it, it just misses the point because the, the New Testament authors understood this idea of patterns. They didn't think yeah. that prophecy was something that a prophet specifically had to say. They recognized God works in history, He sets up patterns in history. And those are also prophecies in the sense that they're things which he has shown us beforehand to expect. So we're not saying that scripture is, isn't sufficient. It is sufficient. The problem is, is people misunderstand the nature of scripture, the mm-hmm. way it can be used. Again, that God has, you know, there's a saying that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Yeah. And we see that uh, happen in scripture a lot where things just happen over and over again in similar ways. And it's because God is saying, this is how things work. This is how the world works. So, you know, our whole take is uh, scripture is the final authority. It's not the only authority, but it's the authority above all authorities. And it's, it's absolutely sufficient. But sufficient doesn't mean that it gives us detailed instructions on every aspect of human life. It just gives us the principles by which we can discern what's pleasing to God, right? So That's right. And that applies to sexuality. So, so when we look at something like success objects or sex objects, we say, okay, do we see this play out in nature over and over again? Or is this just some, something some little dark corner of the internet came up with? Well, look, we all know it. We see it playing out. And what, what does God's word say about it? How can we assess it biblically? Well, I think the creation mandate starts to explain it. We all want to be fruitful. That is what's behind our sex drive is God has made us to make, to make people, to make culture. It's part of his design. So what you're saying is the sexes desire a spouse that possesses the attributes that are associated with fruitfulness so that they can take up their part of fulfilling the creation mandate, that they can find someone to complete the the parts that they can't do so that they can do it together. Yeah, that, that's that's the beauty of how God has done things, is that God made mankind where we come in these two varieties and we need each other. Like mm-hmm. men and women complement each other. You know, our problem with complementarianism isn't the idea that men and women complement each other. Like we 100% agree. Amen. And even a lot of the guys in the red pill would argue that. Yeah. I always tell people that I don't have a feminine side. My wife is my feminine side, right? Um, a man, if he is going to accomplish the creation mandate, he can't do it by himself, we're, right? We're not asexual. We don't, we don't like divide off a little piece of us and, and turn into a person like grandma. Thank heaven. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. So, so Adam needed a helper. He, if he was going to fill the world with people, he needed a woman to create those children, but also to nurture them and all the things associated with establishing a household. There's things that a woman brings to a household that a man simply can't because he's masculine and he does masculine things. And she's feminine. She does feminine things. And so when we come together, we are able to create a, a household filled with people that create 
more households. So that's what we're desiring. God designed these sexual distinctions as part of our nature, and we, we need to embrace them as, as good and not be ashamed. So being manly or masculine is embracing and living a life in line with male sexual distinctions. And being womanly or feminine is embracing and living a life in line with female sexual distinctions. You know, we don't want the modern te- tendency is androgyny. Yeah. It's, it's a rejection. rejection. Yeah. It, <clears throat> this is not just among the feminists. You see this in the men's right activist groups as well, like William Farrell. These guys are trying to eliminate sexual distinctions. I mean, I don't have the quote in front of me, but it's on, his, on the Wikipedia entry for him. And so they're, they are actually, some of those men's rights activists are looking for equality that's, that approaches on sameness. So that we would not be for that. We don't believe men and women are same. And to deny those sexual distinctions is to deny your very nature and certainly to war against God's word. Uh, so uh, we want to embrace those differences as good, which is the irony, the irony of modern liberals. They say they're all about diversity. <laughs> and they, they look to destroy distinctions. It's just yeah. so high. All right. So let's talk about male distinctions then. How does that cash out? We start to learn about the distinctions between man and woman from the text of Scripture in Genesis uh, 2 and 3. We see that man is actually made in a different way than the woman is. So the man was actually made from the earth, from dirt. Then he was brought to the earth. He was placed in the garden, right, and charged to work the earth. So man has a connection to the earth, to dirt, mm-hmm. to, to be made from it, to ruin over it, to work in it. So he was made from the earth to shape it. And so that actually plays out in his, his design. So physiologically, males are they're just bigger. They're larger. They have more robust bones, um, more bone development at muscle-attached sites. They're have more strongly developed and constructed striated muscles. Males tend to have a higher pain tolerance and thresholds as a compared to females. So they're uniquely equipped to overcome physical obstacles and to carry loads. This is why men uh, across the board are better in athletics than women. It's just, they are just, we are superior physically in those sort of transgender madness. Just, it accelerates the process of everyone returning pre- to recognizing that, right? So I yeah. guess keep, keep letting the men into the women's events, see how long it lasts. I mean, one of the things you, you, you see this in that comes up a lot and you can just, you can Google it, but in any sport that requires a hard pivot, right? A real quick turn where you stomp down your foot and, and mm-hmm. you have to go through so basketball, soccer, those would be those sort of sports. The way a man's made, he doesn't overextend as easily because he doesn't have the same sort of estrogen in his body that a woman does. So a woman's body has to expand to, to have children. So when a woman does a hard pivot, a lot of times her, her bones don't just like hit hard. They'll keep, they'll keep moving. They'll keep extending. And so women have all sorts of uh, knee injuries, meniscus, ACL tears. And that's because they're not really made for that. We can talk about this some other time, but one reason women are given to gossip in dealing with conflict in a covert way is that women are not made for battle. Men are made for battle. So we, 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 we don't have the same risk. Like I was having lunch with a friend and his daughter I was talking to her about the differences. She's right now in, in a real liberal university. And I was explaining the differences between men and women. I said, you can punch me right now in my face as hard as you want to. And odds are you can't move my face. <laughs> I, if I hit you as hard as I did in your temple, 
there is a real risk that I could kill you. Yeah, you That's part of the differences, okay? That's how significant these are on whole. But it's not just body. It's intellect. Yeah, what well, leads into brain differences, right? Intellectual right. differences. So men tend to be more oriented towards the world of things. That makes sense. They were made from the earth, so they're more oriented towards that world. Men also are superior to female in logical consistency, abstract reasoning, and spatial conceptualization. Uh, so that's why men tend to outnumber women in STEM. That's one of the main reasons. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, men are u- uniquely equipped to look at the unshaped and come up with a plan on how to shape it into something youth- useful. Men are really good at shaping the world. That makes sense. Adam was put into the garden and told to work the garden. It makes a lot of sense that that would happen. So males also are temperamentally or hormonally different. We all know this. They are wired to be more aggressive than their female counterparts. That's because of the presence of testosterone is higher in their body. Testosterone also actually causes that kind of that tendency to view even people as things rather as objects rather than working on a relational basis. Uh, you see that when you look at the testimonies of so-called transgender women, yep, um, women or transgender men, I get confused <laughs> who can keep up uh, with men who, with women who have tried to transition to being men. <laughs> I say tried because you obviously can't, but they've started taking testosterone and they've, very quickly noticed how it affects their sex drive, not just in terms of making them desire sex more, but in terms of the kind of raw physicality of how their sexual urges change. So they go from wanting to have these kind of cozy, fuzzy, warm, relational fantasies about uh, often they're lesbians about other women. And they go from that to just wanting to sort of grab them and physically subdue them and have sex with them. Uh, there's no no more emotional component to it. So the testosterone has this powerful effect that I think women have a great deal of difficulty understanding unless you actually stick the stick a needle in them. Yeah, I mean the thing is that a male sex drive is like ten times easily that of a, a woman. People say women are just as sexual as men. That's true, but that doesn't mean their sex drive is the same. It's not. It gets fairly when it's at its high, highest, which is right around ovulation. It's still mm. not even on the same uh, par uh, for a healthy man. But uh, men also are more apt than female to take both intellectual and physical risks. Men are risk takers. That's why. Well, that's the Darwin why, Awards. Yeah, the Darwin <laughs> Awards. Uh, we also the jails. We also, uh, yeah. in terms of men that are successful entrepreneurs, you know, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurship is taking calculated risk, sometimes not that calculated. Males tend to establish and organize a social hierarchy to accomplish a shared goal. This is why I, you know, the example I always give people is Emily and I had three boys. We were able to come up with boy names. It was really easy. Then we started having girls. And anytime I brought up a girl name, there would be some chick, like a <laughs> third grade, that did her wrong. She's like, no, nah, we can't use that name. What? What? That's a good name. What's wrong with it? Well, there's this girl back in third grade, and she That's did right. to pull my hair. And I, I was like, what are you talking about? And so with men, we fight. And when we fight, we do it to establish pecking order. So my friend, Jeremy Schnabel, called me a name. I said, Jeremy, I don't think you have the guts to say that in my uh, ear. Come up here and whisper <laughs> in my ear. And we weren't friends yet. And so he came up. He was way bigger than me at the time. And when he came up to whisper in my ear, I punched him in his face. 
<laughs> like, yeah. You know, and then he, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do after that. I didn't have much of a plan. But thankfully, the, the, the physical education teacher came up and broke it up before I got my butt kicked. But Jeremy and I became co-captains on the wrestling team and were friends for a long time. And it just, men use that to figure out like who's who, where, where are we at in, in the pecking order. So men have a, they're always looking to order and put, put together teams. It's a huge difference between men and women. And it's a huge problem in schools actually, is that women cannot conceive of the concept that when men fight, they end up being friends afterwards because when women fight, they end up being bitter enemies afterwards. Yeah. Very different. And, and, and for the, you know, book chapter verse crowd out there, you got to ask yourself guys, when you go to Proverbs, why, why is uh, Solomon constantly warning his son about gangs of dangerous men? Right? <laughs> so men want to organize themselves to accomplish some shared goal. They do. And uh, it's just as part of our nature. Males also tend to partition their feelings from their reasoning or process reasoning first and then decide how to feel. This is probably, again, why men make better soldiers than women. They can deal with the carnage of the battlefield better than the female counterpart because we don't always experience the horror of something as in the same immediacy that a woman would, which allows... It's also why we make uh, why scripture says that women are not to teach is because women can be a lot more gullible uh, and a lot more prone to being swayed by the feelings of others or the feelings of themselves. I mean, if you look at the number of women who are into things like astrology, for example, compared to men, yeah, and it's all because they they process emotions in in a much more I don't know if it's that they process the emotions first and then they decide what it means based on how they feel or if it's just more integrated with their reasoning process. But there's definitely something going on there, which means that the feelings are far more important in determining meaning. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard for, as a man to bring down even so. I'm a pastor, so sometimes we have to excommunicate people. And these are sometimes people who have been part of your church for a long time. They've supported you. They loved you, but they've, they've gone awry somewhere and they won't repent. And eventually you have to excommunicate them. And you get mm. these years of shared experiences and care and all this stuff, this history, but ultimately they won't repent and do what the, you know, I mean, these guys, maybe they're sleeping with someone they're not married to or whatever. Well, uh, that you can't let your feelings blind you there. You have to be willing to do what's right, to follow the principles of scripture. And so when you look at uh, women's ordination, uh, wherever women's ordination goes, liberalism uh, spreads rapidly through any denomination. And I think the reason simple is that women are nurturing and caring and gullible. So they, they love people. They want to include them. And as they, they include factors into the church should be removed. So if the, if they have, uh, History with the leaven, so to speak, they let it leaven the whole lump. Men care deeply about rules. That's another part. So men will actually spend a lot of time just trying to figure out the rules of a game before even playing the game. You, again, you see there's lots of male coders. Rules make sense to men. They like it. Uh, they want to know how everything's ordered because they understand that they're competing. They're competitors. Mm. They're competitors, whether it's in an actual game or if it's just in uh, the battlefield or in the business room, it doesn't really matter. Um, business room, the boardroom, that's what I meant to say. Um, <clears throat> welcome to the business room <laughs> where, we, where we do business. The design of the male sexual organ in the male re- uh, reproductive cell demonstrates that man is equipped to be the initiator. The, the woman receives the man, the ovum receives the sperm. So men are, are uniquely equipped to engage in conflict and establish structures. That's what we do. Right. 
so the physical images are spiritual, like we talked about last time. Absolutely. We, we, we divide these things in a way that scripture does not divide them. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we look at the material world and we don't think it, ha- it correlates to the spiritual world and vice versa. And that is certainly not what we find in scripture. And it's really not how we operate. We, we often have these ideas that are uh, at odds with reality. So males are physically, intellectually, sexually, and temperamentally equipped to dominate in the structure of society. Men are providers, protectors, and they're leaders. All right. What about female distinctions? How are they different? I mean, we've talked about some of them, but it's, it's talk not so much about contrasts to men, but what are the positive distinctions of women themselves? Sure. Again, it comes down to how they were made. A woman was created from the man, brought to the man, and charged to help the man. And again, you find that in Genesis chapter two. In short, woman was made from man to aid him in the shaping of the earth. That's why she's called a helper or sometimes called a helpmate. And Mm. that plays out in her sexual distinctions. So physiologically, uh, females have a bone structure that tends to be smaller, rounder, and and less sharply formed. This is one way that you can look at the skeletal remains and just determine what sex it is. The the big is the, well, we'll get to this in a second, the female pelvis, right? It's wider, longer, and held together by ligaments that soften during pregnancy, allowing the woman uh, allowing the two halves to slide apart so she can deliver the baby. That's, that's one of the easiest ways to determine whether a skeleton is a man or a woman is to look at the pelvis. And it's, so we're different all the way down to our bones. Yeah, it's crazy. It's nuts. Uh, women have a longer torso to accommodate extra re- reproductive organs and find space to push things out of the way during pregnancy. You know, when a woman's getting towards the end of pregnancy, she's got to pee about every, you know, five seconds. <laughs> and the bladder doesn't have much space to work with. Sure. This is why, you know, trying to get, using surgery to, for men to have a baby inside of them, the, the sickness of our side, society, it's, it's going to, it's not going to work without it just being an absolute monstrosity. It's just so, we are so different. Females uh, have much less muscle mass and higher body fat. We like that. Men like body fat very much. I mean, to a degree. (laughs) To a degree and and in the right spots, right? That's right. No one's like, baby, I love that fat in the back of your neck. No, no. There's one guy out like there. Like a somewhere. bulldog. Oh, it's like a, it's like a package of sausage. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> female skin has a greater sensitivity. So women tend to have skin that feels softer, that it feels more, it's more sensitive. Um, it actually tears easier. Women have breasts in a womb. It's always funny when we talk about the differences between the sexes, people will say, well, besides the plumbing, what's, what's different? What do you mean? The whole... It's, we're incredibly different. This, that's a big deal. Females can make people. I, can't, I can never do that. I can't make people. I can help make someone. Yeah. Um, and uh, I get to participate in the growing. best part. <laughs> that's right. You know, she, she, does, uh, she does the heavy lifting, so to speak. That's right. So in summary, women are uniquely equipped to carefully respond to the nearest and most intimate things, right? They got these soft features, they have sensitive skin, it's, uh, they're made to nurture. It just comes, it's very clear. It also has got to be noted that females are clearly and overwhelmingly designed for motherhood. Everything about them communicates it. And I, I didn't mention this, women have periods, men don't, right? My, our hormonal 
our hormonal situation as a male is relatively stable through the majority of our life, uh, where a woman's hormones are cyclical, right? They go up and down with their cycle. And so her whole month says, is, is like, are we going to make a baby? Are we going to make a baby? Oh, I guess we're not going to make a baby, right? <laughs> and then it starts over again. Yeah, that's right. And then at some point it says, guess we didn't make babies or we're done making babies. And she enters menopause, which is associated with old age with women. So she becomes a woman when she starts her period. Her whole life is determined by the cycle. And then she starts to enter old age as she has menopause. I mean, that's how they look at it. Their whole life is determined by that. Their physiology anyhow is. Now, intellectually, it plays out too. Females tend to be more oriented towards the world of people. Females are superior to males in linguistics, verbal communication, and in fields and activities requiring a high level of empathy. You said that we are changing topics, but you're still just explaining how they're designed to be mothers. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And and just think think of young women that when you say, so what do you study in college? What Mm -hmm. do you... Into. I mean, time and time again, they want to be teachers, they want to be psychologists, they want to be nurses. That's you right. look at social their, sciences. Yep. You look at what they're interested in, and uh, they're things that uh, are high in these activities. So in summary, women are uniquely equipped to nurture and manage structured community. So the man structures the community, and the woman plays a part in, in nurturing it or refining it. And that plays out in the temperamental and hormonal differences as well, right? Yep. So women don't have the same uh, testosterone levels that men do, uh, thank goodness, which makes, them, <laughs> <laughs> which makes them more agreeable than their male counterparts. Men are, are naturally aggressive, right? Mm. but women don't have the same levels of that hormone in them, so they're not as aggressive. And that's why an aggressive woman is very off-putting to a man, uh, or at least aggressive in certain areas is very off-putting. No, nah, no, nah, Michael. It's just your fragile masculinity, your fragile <laughs> ego can't handle a strong empowered woman yeah well it's like when i see a woman that's really aggressive in the way that a man is i imagine a a cat barking right (laughs) it's 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 not natural it's not normal there's none of us like it and anyone i've worked in corporate america and you find uh women that are very capable there's no doubt about that in, in terms of their ability to do certain things but i find a lot of women tend to have a more motherly approach to management mm. and other women they're like lady macbeth right unsex me uh, they they act very masculine and yeah. uh, they, they ape it being they play it being men it's yeah. interesting the, the cat and the dog thing is actually really interesting i was thinking about that just the other day because the number of kids who think that cats are are female dogs before they learn about species and things. And what that tells you about the the built-in intuitions about masculinity and femininity before it can be conditioned out of them by feminism. It's pretty telling. That's interesting. I always, I always explain that cats are Arminians and dogs are Calvinists. That's another one. That's for another episode. Uh, Moving on. The females are more apt to seek out the company of others simply for the pleasure of the company. And all us guys know this. I, I, it's easy for me to build male relationships around some sort of shared goal. So yeah. I said this on Twitter the other day is that I'm still close friends with the men that I worked the sales floor with when I worked in sales. And, uh, and a lot of these guys are not Christians, but we still keep up with each other, right? Every, every holiday we'll text each other, call, catch up every several couple of months, Hey, what's going on? Or they'll have a kid and, or, or some of them get a new dog or something and send me a picture. We just keep up. And so it's easier for me to develop relationships around work, 
vocation where w- women, you know, uh, it's not often that a friend calls me up just to shoot the breeze, but women do do that. It's if they did call you up just to shoot the breeze too often, you'd start to think that they were a teenage girl. Yeah. Well, I used men, to, men get uncomfortable just talking for the sake of talking. They want to talk while they do something. Exactly. And this is, you see, I was, I was at a campus crusade meeting uh, not too long ago, like sometime last year, I think it was. And they asked me to lead one of the groups and it was a bunch of guys and, and, and a few girls. And they, I didn't have anything to do with the questions. They just gave it to me. I was like, all right, I'll do this. And a bunch of the questions were like, how do you feel about this? How do you feel when this happens? <laughs> and the guys all just looked like, oh man, somebody kill me. Right. None of them wanted to answer <laughs> at all. Now the girls were willing. Why to- does it matter how I feel? <clears throat> yeah. Why do you want to know? But there's studies where if you put two chairs in a room and stick two young boys in there, the boys will put the chairs side by side. That's right, yeah. Where the girls will tend to put the chairs facing each other. Facing. And it was just, I mean, we see this we, we see this with our children. We see this in society. And, and again, it is so obvious. But women enjoy each other and uh, in a way that's different than how men enjoy each other. Females have a reasoning that's more emotionally integrated. And that, again, has pluses and minuses. I, I seem like some people don't believe in women intuition, but I, as a father, I've seen my wife, she knows when something's wrong with one of my kids sometimes before I do. Sometimes I yeah. do too. It just depends on the thing, but she, because she's, she's really in tune with her feelings and feelings are dangerous things. Sometimes it can be the chili you ate the night before that you're <laughs> feeling, but, um, but there is a, a, they're more emotionally integrated. So, And the emotional integration, the, the intuition can work both ways to some extent, because on the one hand, you have more sensitivity to what's going on and what other people are maybe thinking. But on the other hand, you also, that sensitivity can become paranoia. For example, I, I have a fairly aggressive personality. My wife is always terrified that I've upset someone or, you know, put my foot in it and they're never going to speak to us again. And usually the fact is that they haven't. But because of that kind of increased sensitivity, she's much more she's much more aware of what I how it could have been taken than I am when I'm just busy saying it. I'm just I'm just saying it the way it is. Why would anyone take offense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and again, women are much more sensitive to slights, right? Mm-hmm. Than men are. That's part of it too. They sometimes they can detect things that aren't there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then often they'll detect a slight that I, I wouldn't even notice. Yep, <laughs> like, oh, was he insulting me? I didn't realize. Yeah, he didn't do a very good job. Next time, punch me in the face. Yep. If you want to get it done, men, men tend to be more direct in their conflict where women are covert. Uh, females react to any stimulus in a more lively and complete way than a male. They're just – that maybe completes the wrong word, but lively I think is helpful. In other words, it's just uh, because of they're very sensitive to their surroundings at a deep emotional way that they, they, for example, men, when they go to a horror movie, aren't scared in the same way that a woman is, mm, right? Yeah. So we see in scripture where uh, they talk about men that are scared in battle being like women. And so it is different. They, they, it's good. They're good behind battle lines, reacting to your situation in lively, more complete ways. That's great. Uh, that's great for managing a household, for nurturing and all that. That's not good if you're, you know, out cutting down trees or, or fighting a war or in a intense, you know, debates and discussions at work that 
about the future of business, that, that could actually be a negative. They possess a greater social adaptability. Women are, they, they, they catch on. They're very contextual. They, they adapt. This is kind of what you're talking about with Smokey earlier, just her understanding of what's happening in a inter- interchange, right? In a, in a conversation. That's right. Uh, um, another thing is like, we don't have time to explore this one. What's it, what's it called when someone's kidnapped and they start to identify with their kidnappers? Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. So that does not happen with men almost ever. And the war brides. For non- yep, war, war brides. Basically yeah, the men are killed and some, the women are almost always kept. And sometimes the children are right in, in battle, in ancient battles in particular. And, uh, and it's happening now with, um, with stuff over in Africa. But some of those women are able to come to identify with their captors and, and integrate into their society. Men despise that, right? We hate that. Like uh, with the, the women that came to uh, identify with uh, the Nazis in Poland or something like that. We can't mm-hmm. stand that. But they are just able to adapt into it in a way that men aren't. Uh, the design of the female, in essence, uh, their sex organs, um, and the reproductive cell also uh, demonstrate that a woman is equipped to be a recipient. Woman receives the man, the ovum receives the sperm. So they're able to receive, integrate, commune. They mix these things together inside them. You know, it's crazy. So women are uniquely equipped to provide care and nurture and be responsive to leadership. Females are physically, intellectually, sexually and temperamentally equipped to help nurture and refine society. Women are refiners and multipliers, nurturers and followers. So what we're saying is, to some extent, putting a lie to the cliche that opposites attract, because it's not really opposites that attract. It's really that the the things that we lack in ourselves attract us, compliments attract. That's exactly right. Sexual polarity is what drives uh, attraction and desire. And so if, you, if you're a single guy and you want to be found more attractive to uh, women, it's simple. Be more masculine. Well, what does that mean? Well, we just told you. We, we, we told you some of the sexual designs and distinctions uh, that God has, has made in men. Embrace those things. Be more of that. If you're a woman that wants to be found more attractive than men, you know, embrace your sex. Be more feminine. And if, if you have a marriage right now, where there's not a lot of uh, sexual intimacy and, and deep attraction, what you need to do is start to work at becoming more masculine, guys. That's, that's it. And it will, it will drive it. And that, I mean, I found that in my own life is that the more I uh, embrace my maleness, the more it's... I hate to say it, but spices up my relationship with my wife. And it's, it's been a joy. And I've also found that as I've become more masculine, my wife has become more feminine. You know, I don't make sense, right? She's not trying to fill up any lack in you anymore. That's right. Exactly. And so, so we've kind of been on a journey and you've, we, you've talked about this a little bit the last couple of years as we've been, I've been reading this stuff and talking to my wife about it and applied it to my own life. I've, I'm losing weight. I'm dressing different. I'm, I'm being more decisive. Uh, I'm more careful in how I manage my home and how I discipline my kids. And, uh, and my wife starts working out more. She's wearing more dresses. Oh, I love dresses. Uh, I love, I love long hair. I, you know, she's just, she's doing all the things. Every man loves long hair. Uh, I know. Women, she probably, women don't believe it. Women like, no, no, no. Cute hairstyles are cute. Men are like, no, nah, it always looks better long. 
Yeah, I, I uh, 100% agree. And so, yeah, that's what we're saying. That is That explains what's going on here. I don't know. Do you want to take some time to, to make some of the dis- to talk about the distinction between attraction and arousal here? Is this a good time to talk about that? Yeah, well, it is a good, a good point because people will get confused on that. And we'll have the red pill guys telling us, oh, you've confused everything because you, do, you don't recognize there's a difference between attraction and arousal. And then we'll also have other people thinking that they're the same thing. So attraction and arousal aren't the same thing. When, when we talk about arousal, we're really talking about what gets you sexually excited. But when we talk about attraction, it's about a, a more intellectual or emotional, well, really more emotional connection, something which is typically more long-term. It's something that you're attracted to in the long-term rather than in the, in the immediate physical sense. So women are attracted to comforting qualities, for instance. Um, you know, they want stable men who will provide security for them, uh, men who are going to stick around to look after their children. And there's a fundamental tension in the female psyche because of this, because on the one hand, they want to have a stable husband who will look after them and their children and provide for them. But on the other hand, there's this cliche which is not unjustified that women are attracted to the bad boys the ones with the command presence uh, they got this kind of strange magnetism and you see that with for example the ted bundy series that netflix recently aired netflix was getting all uptight because all of these women were getting extremely uh, interested in ted bundy there was this kind of, sort of subset of the audience who couldn't let it go and well, i mean the trailer the trailer for that special over these women that are just really really i mean th- at this point it was pretty clear that ted bundy had killed a bunch of people violently mm-hmm. and these these women are you know enthralled by him because he's this good looking dangerous well-spoken guy you know yeah. death row inmates are getting uh, proposals marriage proposals all the time from people they've never met it's crazy but then the men with the comforting qualities, the ones that they want for the long-term providing, they tend to be more gentle, more socially compliant. Often they're you know, soft men, effeminate men. And soft, effeminate men just aren't physically arousing. So there's a, a tension between arousal and attraction. They want the sexy danger and they want the comforting long-term stuff. So there's this sort of paradox. Um, less so with men. Men... There definitely is, uh, there's an emotional component and a physical component. Men want curves, which kind of brings us into, you know, you talk about, we've told people what to do in terms of the the differences between men and women, but you can't actually break it down. Yeah, we're coming back to sex objects and success objects now as well. I mean, this is us explaining to you why sex objects is a thing. So sex objects, men like curves. I mean, that's the, the external beauty of woman is the main thing that a man is initially attracted to. They like hips, they like breasts, they like thighs, they like butts. And that's because in one way or another, those things are related to a woman's sexual maturity and her overall healthiness and her ability to bear and nurture children. But you will never find a man who is attracted to a loud well you might you might you might these days but a man is not naturally attracted to a loud uncouth woman a man is attracted yeah. to a, a responsive quiet woman someone who's going to follow him someone who's going to respond to his leadership and that's not an insignificant part of arousal but it also factors into the idea of attraction as well it's something that they if they're looking for a long-term prospect and you know sadly a lot of men aren't but if you're looking for a wife 
you're not just looking for a sexy woman. You're looking for a woman who is going to follow you in the long term. Who's going to commit to your mission, who isn't going to try to run roughshod of your life. A woman who does that just isn't going to be attractive. So yeah, you're not looking for a doormat, the old doormat cliche, but they, you know, men are attracted to an attitude that is necessary for the work of establishing and growing a household scripture. You know, first Peter talks about um, a, a quiet and gentle spirit, which is beautiful in the sight of God. Well, you also go back to um, Proverbs, right? So one of the things we know about, so Proverbs has uh, two types of women in it. It's mm. got the adulteress, the foreign woman, the woman that destroys the household. And then it has the, the wife of the man's youth uh, that builds up the house. It gives herself to the man, expands on it. But one thing you, you have to notice is that the, the ungodly woman, the foreign woman, she will not stay at home, right? She mm. will not. She's loud. And also we get this picture of, 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 of a bad wife as a wife that's bickering, arguing, complaining. And uh, men, men hate that. They like an incessant drip. That's right. And so th- those are in scripture because uh, that's true. It's, it, it's, that's a woman sinning, going against, uh, going against her nature, going against God's law. And it's not, it doesn't bring peace in the household. They can't get the work done that's been given to them, the work of you know, subduing and, and being fruitful. It, it goes against it. So, and this is, some, this is very difficult for women to accept that the main thing that a man looks for is curves and responsiveness. It's very difficult for them. And because women think they, at least modern women have this tendency to think that men judge women the way that women judge men. So that's right. These girls are going to get their degrees and they're going to uh, do well perhaps in business and, uh, in commerce and have money and they think, okay, my degree and my money makes you more attracted to a man. No, it, it, it plays very low. It, it, it's not a major factor for attraction, certainly not for arousal for a man and a man. And again, this is hard. We'll talk about this uh, in a follow-up episode, but this is hard for women to accept that it can actually be a deterrent. It can be a bad yeah. thing because the reason is they'll say it's because the man's insecure. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. It's always insecure, fragile men. But it's not. It's the guys like, okay, this is like the idea of overqualification. You know, I used to be a hiring hiring manager for Sally Mae. And so there's some people that you're kind of nervous about hiring because they've they've operated at a very high level. And then you're wondering, okay, are they going to get disgruntled in this position? I'm going to put them in, which is a lower pay, lower authority, lower level job, and and just quit soon. Is this going to be a waste of my time? Am I bringing in an element into my business that's going to be full of lots of complaints? So guys think like, I don't know, this woman might just be more trouble. It's not, she's not going to help I had me. that exact experience. I w- applied for a job at, uh, when I worked in IT a long time ago. I applied for a job and they loved me and the interview went great. And they were like, yep, uh, we'll let you know. Uh, we'll contact you to tell you when to start, basically. And there's just one more formality, which is the psych test. And then I took the psych test and I just didn't hear back from them. And eventually I contacted them and asked them what was going on. And they said, oh, well, the psych test showed that you get bored in this job and probably quit soon. So we don't want to hire you now. I didn't think, oh, gosh, these guys are so insecure. I thought, yeah, that's probably actually true. Yeah. So that it, it comes down to responsiveness. Is she going to respond to his leadership? And, and he can tell that she is an independent woman. And guess what? A man 
isn't looking for independent woman. A man's actually looking for a woman that's going to depend on him and respond to him, not not an independent operator, because that would that would be having two directions in a household, and a house that's divided will fall. She, a man doesn't want a husband. That's exactly right. So then that gets us to what women like. What women like is masculine men. They find them attractive. And a masculine man possesses, you can kind of boil it down to three key attributes. I'm sure there's other things, but these are the ones that come up over and over again. Well, Donald Graham has a really good model, which he calls Psalm, uh, which is pretty good. But uh, yeah, so that's, um, what is it? Power, status, athleticism, looks, and money. But I think you you can kind of lump some of those together the way that we have. I think it makes it a bit simpler. You, know, you you tell us what what are our <laughs> what are the ones that we've identified? Well, the ones that we did here for simplicity's sake, we just came up with three. And uh, so, women are attracted to physically fit and comparatively taller men, right? They this is again this is a, a brutal fact that women don't want to be with a guy that's shorter than them. <laughs> and that's why Asians are doing so badly these days now that the, the dating market is effectively global. Yeah, so it's it's the and that's because it's changed the comparative. Uh, situation. Yeah. Everything's kind of uh, the the globalization of the world is causing all sorts of issues that we we still haven't figured out. Um, Asian women are highly desired, and Asian men aren't desired even by Asian women. I and I talked to an Asian guy about this not too long ago, and uh, it is very discouraging to them. But again, fellas, this is a single attribute; it's one that matters. But let's explain why it matters. Women want to know that that the man they're with can protect them and their family. That's mm-hmm. it. They want to feel safe. And there's also, you know, evidence of a genetic component that the evolutionary psychologists kind of run wild with this, but a desire for healthy children. So fitness, abs, muscles, strength, whatever, it's not just that they, you have to ask, why do they find it sexy? Well, it's again, because it communicates health and health matters. Women are looking for a guy that's, that's healthy and strong, that's going to be able to take care of them. That's probably what's going on there because a woman has to give herself to a man and trust him uh, to per- protect her while she's vulnerable, having and raising his children, you know? Which is very vulnerable. Massively, yeah. Also, they, they're looking for resourcefulness. Jordan Peterson's talked about this a lot. A lot of the guys in this sort of sector of, of discussion talk about th- resourcefulness. And, and, and this is the whole idea of uh, women being gold diggers. That's right. Th- those YouTube videos where, he's, uh, where he pretends to be like a bigger and asks her out and then he gets in his Lamborghini and asks her out again and turns her yeah. down when she changes her mind. Those look so fake to me. But, I, I always, I, but, but there's a truth to it. And, mm. uh, you know, Kanye told us about it in his famous song. <laughs> um, uh, Kanye. But um, women are attracted to men that have resources, that have money. And there's a reason for that. They want to know that they'll be well provided for if they give their body to birthing and raising the children of men. They want to know. And so this can be twisted, and we'll talk about that again uh, when we get into the curse a little bit. But the desire for a man that can provide, that is successful, is, is a good desire in a woman. And I don't think men, I don't think women should resent being sex objects. Not at all. Um, I don't think men should resent being success objects. And then there's confidence. Women are attracted to a confident or assertive man, even an aggressive man. We talked about that a little bit with uh, the whole the jailhouse pen pal becomes a, a, a gets a marriage proposal sort of situation. Yeah, dark triad traits. Essentially, men who 
don't really care about other people and have their own things that they want to do and are willing to do what it takes to get the job done. That's right. So it's why women like jerks. It's, yeah. it's not their jerkiness. It's their independence, their drive to do something. that, And, and their ability to command respect. That's right. They, they want someone that uh, is a competent leader. And so you, so this is like swagger. This guys have to work on their confidence. The insecurity and desperateness is, uh, is the opposite of aphrodisiac, right? It, it, it kills the whole thing. Women are looking for a man that controls the situation, everything around them. All, so all these things start to play together. These attractiveness factors are weighed differently against each other based on an individual stage of life, some level of personal preference. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, and there are other factors involved in attraction that we haven't listed here. And some of those things are mysterious that I don't know we, under, we will ever understand, like why a guy has a type or a woman has a type, you know, uh, why they like uh, a blondes or redheads or, or freckles or a guy that's, you know, shaped a certain way, tall and slender. Or, you know, it's, uh, some of those things are, we don't know, but these are the things that that are across the board, cross-cultural, and they make a whole lot of sense when we start to look at it through the creation mandate. That in essence, men are looking for women that can be fruitful and multiply and help subdue the earth. That's what they're looking for. And women are looking for a man that can help them be productive via children and through providing them the raw goods for them to refine and create the society of the home and, and allow that to spread and create greater culture. These things work together. That is the heart of biblical attraction. That's what's going on there. So these are things, most of these things are in your control. We all have different ceilings, right? Not everyone has the same external beauty or the same external strength. They have different ceilings, but uh, a woman, like I had a friend, uh, this is going to be brutal. I'm going to hear about this. Okay. I had a friend that called up and told me that he has a overweight girl in his congregation that's, he's having trouble getting married. And I said, well, you should tell her to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And he was like, really? Yeah. I was like, no, nah, you need to tell her to lose weight. Yeah, but our society says, uh, you know, what's her name? No matter what anyone says, you're beautiful just as you are. That, there's mm-hmm. that terrible song. Uh, no, no, that's not true. Uh, being sickly, being unhealthy is not attractive. And so, so what a woman... So this kind of gets us into the question, though. What, okay. Why is it that we resent being measured as success objects as men? Or why, why women resent being sex objects? And if you tell them that the key to marriage is to lose weight, they get very offended. <laughs> it's not just our culture, right? I mean, if you, no. if you look throughout history, it's certainly our culture has exacerbated the problem, but there is a kind of tendency for us to resent the way that the other sex thinks and and operates. It's because we are running down. We're falling apart. It's because of entropy. It's because that a a woman, if you want to break men and women down as simple as possible and at the risk of being overly reductive, women are beautiful, men are strong. That is the, the difference between the sexes, especially as it relates to attraction. And beauty fades and strength fades. And we, we feel a death coming. We feel that we're going to lose it. This is why when women approach 30, they call it the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
where a woman starts to recognize that their external beauty is starting to diminish. And it ties, uh, it's closely tied to their fertility, where they start to lose, you know, um, some of the baby fat in their face and they start to look older and, and, uh, and they, they start to freak out. And a lot of women now will try to get married or they'll have this sort of new, uh, I don't know how you say it, they sleep around more. That happens a lot. Um, mm-hmm. that age because they, they, they recognize and then they have what the red pill guys call the epiphany phase where they realize that what they really wanted all along was a nice, reliable beta soft soy boy and settle hard for him so yep. that they can get married. That's right. There's a, that, uh, there's that Katy Perry song that captures this, the one that got away. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a, <laughs> you got to watch the video to, to understand it. But anyhow, so their beauty starts fading. And so, uh, we realize that this is a resource. She realizes this is a resource that's diminishing. And so it makes her feel insecure because she knows she won't have it forever. And men too, men recognize that, um, that they, there's a limitations to their strength and their strength diminishes. It diminishes at a, it, it peaks and starts to diminish at a different point in their life. Men tend to peak actually as women are, are on the way down. Uh, men start to come into their own, usually in their 30s, uh, economically speaking, anyhow. So I think a big part of it is they start to feel the burden of their strength diminishing. And women feel the burden of maintaining youthful beauty. And so what I- you're saying is that all of creation has been subject to futility and that it has a psychological effect on us. Absolutely. I think the Bible has a word for that. What's it called now? Curse. <laughs> and that's what we're going to talk about next time, right? I mean, consequently, both men and women will attempt to suppress the created order. And that's what we're going to be discussing in the next few episodes. Why don't you take us out, Nan? All right. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. 